It's good to see you. And for those that are uh, joining us uh, from home, worshiping with us at home, uh, we want to say welcome to you. We, we, um, uh, Jennifer has uh, these little magic programs, you know, computer programs that I know nothing about. I just get the data from. And so the uh, so reason why we want to say welcome to those that are worshiping at home is that we have this, like this small cohort of people, about, about 20 people, that um, they worship from home. Uh, they're watching now, and uh, they're with us every week. And uh, somehow this this little magic program knows how long they watch for and all that. So, like, when you look at when you look at uh, you know Facebook or YouTube or things like that, you see th- these these amazing numbers. But guess what? They're meaningless. It's it's those that that watch each and every week and watch the. Uh, and participate. So we want to say thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, we know who most of you are, and if and if you want to let us know who you are, you just need to drop us an email, and we can keep in touch and and add you to our prayer list and all of that. So uh, this morning we are following our Advent uh, reading as far as our teaching. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter sixty-one. Uh, we're looking at Isaiah 61, say, verses uh, 1 through 3, and then we're looking at verses 8 through 11 this morning. And so, and the theme, can anybody tell me what the theme is, least I forget? The, the, the theme this morning uh, for this week of Advent is, is joy. And that's something that uh, I want to grow in and, and walk in in a greater way. And I'm sure you do too. And so we're going to look at uh, this text and try to understand a little bit better like how can we walk in uh, one of the promises that God has for us. And when we look at the text, uh, one of the promises that God has for his children is joy everlasting. And so how can we walk in that? How can we experience that? And I think the text is going to help us to understand that this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, what you're doing uh, in our church uh, during this Christmas season. And Lord, we're grateful for that. And we pray, Lord, that as we look at your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts and that we could have more of your joy in our life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Isaiah 61, and we're in verse 1, and the prophet Isaiah writes, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, if you go to Luke chapter 4, you're going to see that Jesus is in his hometown. He's going to go to the synagogue, and the text tells us that it was his custom to go to the synagogue to worship the Lord every single week. And on this particular occasion, as was his custom in his hometown, he goes to the synagogue and the attendant gives him the scroll to Isaiah. And Jesus opens the scroll to Isaiah 61 and begins to read this. 
the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And then Jesus says what? What is the most significant thing that we read out of Luke chapter 4 when we read Jesus, when we know that Jesus is reading this little section of Isaiah? He says, now in your hearing, this is what? This is fulfilled. One of the first things to understand, or one of the first things to get a hold of, is if you, if you want more joy in your life, that's not subject to your circumstances. In other words, the ups and downs of your life don't affect your disposition of peace and joy is to understand the nature and character of God. The nature and character of God is you can trust Him. You can trust His promises. There's 506 promises in the Old Testament that say this, the Messiah is going to come. Isaiah mentions quite a few of them, that he's going to be born of a virgin, that Micah tells us that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah tells us what type of life he's going to live, how he's going to suffer, how he's going to die. 500 plus promises in the Old Testament that point to the fulfillment that comes in the New Testament. Did you know that? See, the Bible is just not a fairy tale. It's just not a, a book, a collection of wise sayings. It's the very word of God to us. And to make sure that we understand that, God speaks things years, centuries, before they happen, and then fulfills them so that we could know what? We can trust him. We can trust his promises. So that when we're going through the difficulties that life brings to us, and our world is turned upside down, we would know that the promise that he'll never leave us or forsake us is true and sure. That when we're going through the challenges that this life gives us, and we're wondering, can anything good come out of this? Have you ever said that? All is, all is lost. Can God do anything out of this? We know that one of the promises, because we're called by his name, we're his child, he loves us, and he's able to make all things work together for the good in your life and in my life, and he has done that. Now, Isaiah illustrates this for us. And in order to understand how Isaiah does it, you've got to do a little bit of theological work. Are you ready for that? Say, hey, I've done enough work all week, you know. But there's a theological, say, concept called prophetic telescoping. How many were here last week that heard me talk about this? about five of you, so I get another, you know, I get another go at it. So prophetic telescoping is this, is that the prophet looks to the future, but he only sees the mountaintops. And when we come to Isaiah 61, God gives the prophet a view of the, uh, a view of the future but he only sees the mountaintops. He doesn't see the valleys. And he sees 
a near mountaintop and then one that's intermediate and then he looks way, way out to the future. It's kind of like if you went to the top of Mount Major and you looked out over Lake Winnipesaukee, you would see the Ossipee Mountain Range, but you wouldn't see a you wouldn't see the oldest vacation spot in the United States, which is what? Wolfboro. You wouldn't see it. And if you looked far, you know, if you're looking east and you look to the northeast on a clear day, you would see the highest mountain in our region, which is called what? Mount Washington. The prophet Isaiah, hang with me now. The prophet Isaiah looks out a hundred years. And he says that when the exiles come back from Babylon, they're going to experience everlasting joy. They're going to experience the rebuilding of the temple. They're going to experience the rebuilding of the walls and the joy of the Lord is going to be their strength. That's Nehemiah and Ezra. And he looks out not just a hundred years, but he looks out 700 years to the coming of who? Jesus Christ. And he says, a virgin's going to be with child. He's going to, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And all the things that we see in the text are, are almost completely fulfilled in Jesus and then the prophet Isaiah looks out to the end of the age and sees the millennial reign of Christ and sees see him coming not on a as a humble servant on a donkey he sees him coming as a mighty warrior to bring justice to the sinful world that we live in one of the things that the prophet Isaiah helps us to understand that brings joy to our life is you can trust God. You can trust his promises. And as you trust his promises, when life comes and you say, can anything good come out of this? My God says, yes. When life overwhelms you and you cry out, does God still hear my prayer, my God says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. How do we have joy in the midst of the circumstances of life? It's trusting God's word. It's knowing what he said. He keeps it because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come back to this just with this one verse and there's some amazing things that help us to understand who is this Jesus? Take a look at the verse with me. We're only in verse 1. We might, net, we might not even get past verse 2, but we'll give it a shot, won't we? So verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is, a, is, a, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now there's two key things here that help us to have a better or a deeper understanding of God. The first is that God is Trinitarian in nature. 
It says the Father is there. God the Father is there. It says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the person who is ultimately speaking this is not the prophet Isaiah, but is the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. And so God is Trinitarian in nature, one God and three persons. Sometimes we listen to the anti-Christian or maybe people that call themselves Christians, but they say, oh, there's no proof in the Bible that God is Trinitarian. And I, I, I would just answer simply, you just haven't read your Bible. Because all the way from Genesis to Revelation, we see God showing us his nature and character. What does that mean to, the, to us? It means three things. It means that we have a loving father, John 3, 16. We have a loving father who loved us so much, he didn't want heaven to be without us. So he did what? So he sent his son. And the son gave up his life for us. And the Holy Spirit came to draw us and to woo us to saving knowledge. We have a Father who loves us, Jesus who gave his life for us, and the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer. That's who we have. Secondly, we can see in the text that the Son says, the Messiah says, well, let's stop there for a second. What does Messiah mean? It means anointed one, right? And so the Messiah comes, who means, the Messiah means anointed one, and, and the Messiah says that, that God the Father has what? Anointed me. Now, literally, Messiah, anointed one, means, means this, literally, a person that has had oil poured over them. Now, what is the significance of that? Well, in the Old Testament, there were three primary offices. There were three primary positions that reflected God's heart to the people. The first was a king. Remember King David? Did King David have oil poured over his head when he was installed as king? Yes. The second one that we can see is priests. Did priests like Samuel have oil poured over him when he was called? Uh, uh, sorry about that. Uh, Samuel is what? He's not a priest. He is a prophet. Did Samuel have oil poured over him when he was installed? Yes. Did the priests of the Old Testament have oil poured over them when they were called and installed like Aaron? Yes. And so what the text is telling us is that Jesus is, not, is the Son of God, but he fulfills all of the offices of the Old Testament that help us to understand who God is. He's our priest. He's our mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5, we only have one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our high priest, some of you are going to the wonderful, uh, blended uh, life group that's led by Ernie Albegin. And they're studying the book of Hebrews. You're going to study, if you haven't already got there, how Jesus in chapters 4 through 10 is our great high priest. 
when we look at the pro- prophetic word, we can look at, say, Hebrews chapter 1, that the word is spoken. He has all authority. Hebrews chapter 1, also, that, that he is the great king of us. And so all of these things, prophet, king, priest, they're all fulfilled and all find their meaning in Jesus Christ. So the next thing we should probably ask ourselves is why? Why is Jesus our great high priest? Why does he speak the prophetic word to us? Why? Why why is this the nature and character of Jesus? And it's this nature and character because Jesus has been anointed and we find the answer in the next verse. Come, come there with me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And here's all the things that Jesus brings to us so that we could have joy in our life. Look at the first one. He brings good news to the poor. That is, both literally poor, as we look at the ministry of Jesus, but it really gets at being, being spiritually bankrupt. See, Jesus comes to us not to condemn us, John chapter 3, because the world is what? Already condemned. But he comes to bring us life, comes to bring us eternal life, comes to give us a gift, which is salvation through Christ, through belief in his atoning work. And so we have this priest and this prophet, and this mighty king that comes to give us good news and that good news of salvation that we don't have to stay dead in our sins and our trespasses. What else does Jesus do for us? He says to bring us joy in our life. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Have you ever, this is, it's almost silly to ask you, but have you ever had a broken heart? I think we've all had a broken heart. We've all been disappointed. We've all been let down. And Jesus' ministry is to come and bring healing to the brokenness in our life, both caused by sin and relational brokenness. There's a great book called The Wounded Healer by Henry Nouwen. Now, just take in a deep breath. Let it out. I'm not endorsing all of Nouwen's theology, so you can let it go at that. But the book has an awesome picture of what it looks to minister to the other people. The book has an awesome picture of what it looks like to be Jesus for the people that we love. And the picture is this. At the city gates, there's a, there's a person that is wounded. And the person bandages up himself and sits at the gate. Then another person comes to the gate and that person that is wounded and broken turns to that other person and what do you think the person does? He binds up their wounds 
brings healing to the brokenness. And I think it's a wonderful picture of who we are as representatives of Jesus Christ. Is that we're broken, we're sinful, but we've experienced grace and healing from the Lord, and that is what we offer to the people around us. See, as Christians, as people that like fellowship here at Calvary Chapel, we're not perfect people, right? We're sinful people. The difference is, is that we've experienced grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and he has changed our hearts from the inside out. And so we offer that same grace and that same healing to the people around us. We actually give away a gift we didn't earn. We give away a gift that was given to us, which is in the same way that Christ has healed our brokenness. We give that to the people that are around us and our relationship. This is what the Messiah, the anointed one, does for us. Come back to the text. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the liberty here comes from the year of Jubilee out of Leviticus in the Old Testament. And um, the year of Jubilee is something that... um, at 66, I think I want to sign up for. I think I'm a little bit overdue. And the year of Jubilee is, you can tell me if you want to sign up for it or not. But no matter how much debt you've accumulated, when you reach the year of 50, it's all canceled. Any takers? I got a hearty amen at the 830. That's what Jesus did for us. No matter how much sin we committed, no how many how many times or in how many ways we went down the wrong path, he comes into our life and he says, I've paid the price. I've settled the debt. You're free. And the captive goes free. Would you like to sign up for that? I, I, I sign up for that every morning. Every evening, Lord, come and cleanse this sin of Conway. Come and forgive me. Come and cleanse my sin. And let me experience your grace. Do you know that the mercies of God are renewed every morning? Did you know that every time you wake up in the morning, if you go before the Lord, he's going to cleanse you and forgive you and give you grace and bring his joy into your heart? And so why carry it? Why carry that around when Jesus says he's faithful to forgive and his mercies are renewed every morning? Come back to the text with me. And opening of the prison to those who are bound. Wow. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's something that Jesus didn't say. In the day of vengeance of our God. Why? Because that is the, that final mountaintop. Jesus 
didn't come to condemn, came to set free. But one day he'll come, right? Mighty warrior. And then finally, we see to comfort all who mourn. And so when we celebrate this week of Advent and we're celebrating joy, we're celebrating the Messiah, which means what? The anointed one. We're celebrating someone who is our priest, our prophet, and our king, both today and soon coming. And so to have more joy in our life, it's entrusting our heart and our life to a good God who loves us, has a plan for our life, and the more we trust him, the more we access his joy in our hearts, in our life. Can you say amen to that? We're going to ask Ben to come to provide a point of reflection and we'll close with the Lord's table this morning.